Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. You know, one of my favorite television shows, I'm not ashamed of this, it, favorite television show of all time is Star Trek The Next Generation. Got any Trekkie fans? I got, there's some, there's some, right? Um, why in the world is that show from the 90s uh, just, just so, so near and dear to my heart? Well, I think part of it is kind of, it came on as I was, I was kind of growing up, and so I remember watching it as a, as a, as a teenager. Um, but for one, Captain Picard, he may be one of the most exceptional examples of leadership that the universe has ever, has ever seen on television. I mean, of anyone who's ever graced the screen, what an incredible example of, of leadership. But it was set in the 24th century, and, and Gene Roddenberry created in the 24th century this remarkable utopia that eliminated so many of the problems of the 21st century. Uh, they didn't exist there. They, they had no need for money. There was no need whatsoever for, for, for money. Uh, medicine in Star Trek The Next Generation had advanced to the point that if you had a broken bone or a brain aneurysm, just a quick trip to the sick bay and a little wave of a, of a, of a device, and, and you're, all, you're as good as new. You're walking away, and, and like nothing, nothing ever happened. That's like you may be sore for a couple hours. I mean, it was incredible. No need to take a, a trip. No need to get in a car and drive somewhere if, if you needed to go somewhere. They converted your body into energy and then beamed you to your destination as long as it was within transporter range. And you rematerialized like nothing ever happened. They had these incredible devices on the show called replicators where you could ask the 24th century equivalent of Alexa for whatever you could fancy, I mean, whatever, as long as, as long as she had the recipe and she knew how to, to create the molecules into whatever it is, you could have anything that you wanted to eat. She could mix it up for you. And you didn't even have to say Alexa, just computer, give me, give me a, a glass of ice water. And she'd ask how cold, right? I mean, it's incredible. Now, aside from the occasional attack by a foreign alien power like the Borg or the Romulans, there was nothing to worry about in the 24th century, much like 2020. I mean, it started out kind of rocky, but we're going to end with all of our cares and angst resolved this year. I mean, here's some examples. For example, we, we've got a COVID vaccine that's proven to be 90% effective at preventing the, the COVID infection. That's exciting, right? Everybody's going to line up to get it. They may even give you a free little invisible tattoo to show everybody that you got the vaccine. I mean, that's a bonus, right? Nothing to worry about there. All the race riots of this past summer are a thing of the past. In fact, I heard that on November the 3rd, we eliminated racism. Let's not forget that it looks like that we're going to have a new president soon. We may even get to have two new presidents soon if President Biden takes too many mental vacations during the first couple of months. And regardless of whether it's President Biden or President Harris, I'm sure that they're going to be looking for ways to give Americans new freedoms that they can enjoy while they're locked up in their homes under house arrest. I mean, while they're locked up in their homes under quarantine. And let's not forget, 
Oh, church, let's not forget. The fate of the free world comes down to a simple little runoff election in the great state of Georgia on January the 5th. Nothing to worry about here, folks, because the state that brought you Stacey Abrams clearly knows how to run a good election. Okay. So maybe we've got a little work to do before we reach the carefree world of the 24th century. In fact, we all may need to just take a deep breath here just to avoid the panic attack that I just created by pointing all these things out. Uh, the fact of the matter is, if you don't laugh about some of these things, some of the crazy that this year has brought us, then you might not be able to do anything but cry. It has been an interesting and challenging year. The truth, however, is that anxiety is no laughing matter. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, anxiety disorders affect a huge portion of our country. Uh, around 20% of all adults have some form of an anxiety disorder. It's even worse among teenagers, those aged 13 to 18. Uh, around 25% of teenagers suffer from some level of an anxiety disorder. For those who struggle with real anxiety, Jesus' words here in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 may end up actually causing more anxiety. My goal this morning, however, is not to heap extra burdens on the already anxious and hopefully, though, help us all to worry just a little bit less and trust just a little bit more, even if we don't have one of those handy-dandy Star Trek replicator devices. If you've got your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 as we continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. This morning we will pick up in verse 25 and read through the end of chapter 6. I would invite you to stand with me as we read these words from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, not about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, could add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Lord, I thank you for the words of Jesus, which are hard, which strike us. And Lord, in our moments of great anxiety, they cause us to um, just even question the where our heart is and what, what our heart condition is, Lord. I pray, God, that as we look at these words in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, that we would recognize that it's not a condemnation for us, Lord, but it is a, a call to hope and faith and trust 
and our King. God, we're grateful again for these words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. What do we do when anxiety attacks? How do we respond to this feeling that comes over us, this sense of angst and worry that can be so, so palpable, almost touchable in our lives? The first thing we need to keep in mind as we look at these verses is that Jesus is, has been giving us a picture of what citizenship in the kingdom truly is like. We need not forget that as we've worked through all of these verses in the Sermon on the Mount, that this is a, a kingdom manifesto. This is a, a picture for us of what the ideal kingdom citizen should look like. And it looks very clear here that the kingdom citizen is someone who does not worry and struggle with anxiety. Well, why is that? Well, because there's a kingdom, there is also a, a king. You don't get a kingdom without a king. And this king is, is not like all our earthly kings and earthly rulers. The king who is in charge of the kingdom is able to care for his subjects, not just partially, but he's able to care for his subjects in abundance. He's able to care for his subjects with exactly what they need. Jesus says it here, the, the, the Father knows we need these things. He's able to meet us with exactly what we need, not our earthly desires that may not be definable in, in, in the sense of the word need, but he certainly knows what we truly do need. And we need to remember that this passage in chapter 6 is in the context of the entire Sermon on the Mount. And so, again, we can make the mistake of sometimes picking and choosing the verses in the Sermon on the Mount that we want to look at. But the fact of the matter is, is that it applies in the entirety of the sermon. And so we understand, of course, that beginning in verse 25, there's a key word in our text that says, "therefore." It's a, it's a causation relationship. Because of what's been said, therefore this must be true. So these verses are intended to be tied to the ones before it. And the ones before it are talking to us about serving both God and possessions. The verse before it is a, is a, is a warning about our loyalty to God or our loyalty to things. And so there's automatically, Jesus goes here because there's a question about his teaching. Lord, I want to follow you, but I think we all understand this, that, that we got to have money to provide for our family. That if you sit at home and don't work to provide for your family, that the Bible says you're actually worse than a non-believer. And so we've got to have resources to be able to provide for our family, to put food on the table. And, and we understand that we don't live in 24th century, uh, the 24th century, and so we can't just go uh, ask Alexa to make things for us. We actually have to provide and do this in some capacity. So, so if we have to have things in order to, to survive, then, then how does Jesus' teaching here apply? We don't want to miss this point. Remember what we're told to do. We're told to store up treasures on, in heaven, not treasures on earth. We're told to focus on light, not on darkness. We're told to trust God and not money. We know the answer to all those questions that we had encountered in previous verses. But we also know that our loyalty to God over money, our loyalty to God over possessions is going to have consequences for how we approach this life. 
We don't serve our possessions. We serve our king. And remember, what we treasure governs the rest of our life. And so in those previous verses, when Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven, he understands that those heavenly treasures are what governs and guides our life. So, when we think about this in these terms, if stuff is what you treasure, then, that, then, then the pursuit of that stuff will consume your physical, emotional, psychological energies. And when you have a perceived deficiency in that stuff, what does it result in? Anxiety, worry, concern. I, I love how John Stott said this. He said, our basic choice of which two masters we intend to serve will radically affect our attitude to both. We shall not be anxious about the one, for we have rejected it, but concentrate our mind and energy on the other, for we have chosen him. We shall refuse to become engrossed in our own concerns, but instead seek first the concerns of God. The fact that we are kingdom citizens calls our attention and our focus not on this earthly kingdom, but on this heavenly kingdom, and therefore it reprioritizes those things that matter in our life. So, so how do we overcome this, this sense of anxiety, though? I mean, we know the, we know the truth. We understand what it says on the, in, in, in paper. I mean, we get it, but, but how do we get there? How do we go from, I know what you say, Lord, but I'm struggling because I live in this world and, and I have flesh and, and I get hungry. And if the preacher goes too long, I'm going to get hungry before we're done here. So, Lord, how in the world do I, do I function in this, in this world? Well, here's the thing. When it comes to overcoming anxiety, we need not be sucked into reductionist thinking. What do I mean by that? Well, last year we saw this, this sign pop up in various places. Uh, again, I, you probably could buy it at Hobby Lobby if you were really uh, looking for it. Don't forget to drink water and get sun. You're basically a houseplant with complicated emotions. That's funny, but let's not forget what happens when you remove the creator from the human equation. You see, when you remove the creator from the human equation, you lose the foundation for morality. Mankind is, is simply a highly evolved animal or a houseplant with complicated emotions. Mankind really becomes nothing more than a body, and therefore we need to do everything we can to keep that body happy. To, to make sure that body is, is satisfied. It's, a, it's the human animal. And our life is geared towards making sure that this human animal is fed and taken care of and he is happy. But the reality is, is that perspective is not all that accurate. Look at verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. And Jesus says, is life not more? than food? Is the body not more than clothing? Also down in verses 31 and 32, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
You see, reductionist thinking is followed by the thought patterns of this world and thinking that material pleasure and comfort are the highest aim for the human condition. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, Example, my dog is pretty easy to keep happy. Food and water in the bowl, a trip to the lawn a few times a day, and, and he would be very happy if if I simply sat on the couch with him all the rest of the time. That's it. Food, drink, outside, couch. If, if we abided by, that, by those rules, my, my, little, my little Yorkie thing, whatever he is, he would be as happy as a, as a pig in slop. He's not really having very advanced thoughts of self-worth. He's not laying on the couch all day thinking, this is probably not good for my blood pressure. He's not taking his trip to the bowl thinking, thinking I sure wish they would give me something better to eat. He, he's not uh, going outside thinking, thinking man, it would be nice to see some different scenery. He's thinking about what do I need to keep myself fed, hydrated, comfortable, and filled with rest. That's it. He's a dog, so he probably is happy to be sitting with a human because that's his pack. But that's, that's it. I don't have to work hard. I don't have to take him to counseling. I don't have to do anything other than that. He's really not even concerned with his own dignity. He's concerned with food, water, sleep, and pack. That's it. You think about that. Humans, however, are made in the image and likeness of God. And Jesus said life is so much more than food, and the body is so much more than clothing. Again, it doesn't, it's not, God knows we need these things. This is not, God made us this way. He clothed our first parents, and so God knows these things are real. He even gave them instructions on what they could eat and couldn't eat. So, so God built us. He knows these physical needs that we demand. But this world wants to convince us that that's really all that matters. Consider the advertisements that you see on a Saturday football game. What sort of things are advertised during that three-hour, four-hour program? Alcohol, fancy cars, food, financial advisors. We could make a list. But I think you could really easily find that everything that's advertised in the course of that football game is all about your comfort, all about your luxury, all about these things that Jesus says that the Gentiles pursue. If you listen to these voices of culture, then you're going to be inclined to believe that that's all that really matters. However, we are citizens of the kingdom, and we know that there's so much more. Is life not more than food? Is the body not more than clothing? It absolutely is. The other thing we need to remember here is that Jesus is not prohibiting thought or forethought. He is prohibiting anxious thought. Some have read Jesus' words here, and they think that he's encouraging a kind of cavalier, careless approach to life, that they don't have to worry about any of these things. I don't have to get a job. I don't have to do any of this because Jesus is going to just take care of everything. I don't have to do anything, right? That's not the case at all. Thinking about things is not the same thing as worrying about things. We don't have the human means to be mindless. We're constantly thinking about things. Even when God literally dropped manna from heaven, the Israelites had to go outside of their tent. They had to contemplate what they were doing. 
They had to think about the food that they were gathering. They had to decide what day of the week it was and how much they should gather. They had to think about what they were going to do with the manna that they collected. Here in the sermon, Jesus says, look at the birds. Consider the lilies. Both are instructions to, to study them, to consider them, to pay attention to them, to think about them, to consider how they function in God's creative world. So thinking about things isn't condemned. Likewise, forethought isn't condemned. Well, look at the birds. What do the birds do? They just fly around and willy-nilly go about trying to just figure out life. Well, birds are actually pretty thoughtful creatures when you, when you stop and think about it. A bird knows that in order to have its young, it needs a nest. And so a bird plans ahead. It builds its nest so that it can provide for its young. Some birds, when they realize that the, the climate is changing and the temperatures are dropping, they'll get together and they'll migrate to a new place to weather out the wintertime. And so the birds even think ahead. And here the birds are given to us as an example of, what, of, what, uh, of how God cares for them. And so it's not, a, it's not a prohibition against saving or planning or preparing for the future. The prohibition that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount is against anxious thoughts. The difference between thought and forethought and anxious thought is simple. It is anxious thought that distracts us from the kingdom of God. The word Jesus uses here in chapter 6 is the same word that was used, for instance, in Luke chapter 10, verse 40, when Martha was, was distracted by her household tasks. Jesus was there in the room, and Martha was busy cleaning the kitchen instead of focusing on Jesus. She was distracted by her kitchen. It's the same word in Luke chapter 8, verse 14, to describe the seed that fell among thorns. What happened to the seed that fell among thorns? It, it came up, but it was choked out. What was it choked out by? The cares of the world. That, that seed was, was choked because it was, it was distracted by the cares of the world. In Philippians 4, 6, Paul uses the word. He tells us very simply, do not be anxious about everything. And so anxious thought is any thought which distracts us from God's kingdom, which distracts us from, from the kingdom of, of heaven. And we know there are household tasks that need to be taken care of. Martha wasn't wrong for cleaning the kitchen. The kitchen had to be cleaned. Martha was wrong because the kitchen was becoming a source of anxiety for her. We know that there are cares in the world. There are bills that have to be paid. There are meetings that have to be attended. There are appointments that have to be kept. We don't get to just, well, I'm focused on the kingdom. I don't have to pay my water bill this month. That would be nice, but that's not how it works. We still have to oblige all the obligations that we have. However, none of these things... None of these obligations, none of these concerns of this world, none of these things that distract us should ever cause us to take our eyes off the kingdom of God. And that's the anxious thought that Jesus is prohibiting here. Well, with all that being said, there's three key principles that we need to highlight in order to really be able to grasp what Jesus is telling us here. 
It's important that we don't lose sight of some basic principles, and this is where I talked about last week, the Bible needs to be understood in context, not taken out of context. And so it would be very easy to take Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and, and dissect it into bits and pieces that, that reinforce what we want it to reinforce, but it does need to be taken in the context of the entire sermon. It would be very easy for someone to come off the rails in this text. Jesus' prohibition against worry and his promise of provision do not preclude some very basic facts. The first one is this. We are not exempt from earning our own living. We are not exempt from earning our own living. When we consider the birds, the birds, God feeds the birds, right? That's what Jesus says here. But when we watch the birds, we don't see angels from heaven descending on the bird nest and, and giving food to the birds. How does God feed the birds? Well, the birds leave their, their nest, and I, I love watching a hawk uh, sitting out over a field. It's amazing to me how God has engineered a hawk to be able to sit. We, there was one sitting on the power line the other day over this big open field, and it was just sitting there watching. And I know what that hawk was doing. That hawk was doing what I'm doing in a tree stand, except he's got a lot better sight than I do. And he's probably faster than I am, too. And so that hawk was sitting on that, on that power line, and he was surveying the field, and you know that hawk was looking for something moving a rodent of some sort, a rabbit or a rat or a mouse or something. That hawk was just sitting there. Now, you could say that God's not feeding that hawk because that hawk's about to have to fly down and feed itself. Or you could really look at it and say God is feeding the hawk because he's given the animal the intuition and the eyesight and the ability to sit there on that power line and see those animals moving in the grass and be able to go down and swoop up and grab that thing. And so... We're not exempt from earning our own living. The birds still go gather the food, but God has given them the means. Even the flowers who clothe themselves, as much as I would like to think that it's a miracle that those flowers just burst into bloom, I understand from my biology class that God created a system in place by which that flower turns into what it turns into. It's got roots, and it's got chlorophyll, and it's got all those systems that God put inside that plant that allow that plant to process nutrients from the soil and sun from the sky and do the incredible thing that the plant does. And so even the plant is not miraculously clothed. It's clothed by the processes that God has put in place. For human beings, God certainly provides, but we still have to cooperate. We still have to act in, in the way that we are created. I'm reminded of the man who was stranded in his house due to rising floodwaters. One set of rescuers came by in a large truck to warn him of the flood, and he said, no, I don't, I'm okay, God's going to save me. As the waters rose, he climbed to the second floor of the house, and a second set of rescuers came by in a boat to save him, and he replied again, I will not be afraid, because God will save me. Well, as the flood continued to rise, he climbed to the roof of the house to escape. At that time, a helicopter flew overhead and lowered him a basket, and he said, no, I'm not afraid, God's going to save me. Well, as you can imagine, the flood continued to rise. It swept him from the house, and he died. He came to God. He was dejected. He said, God, I thought you were going to save me. He said, well, I sent you a truck and a boat and a helicopter, and you refused all three. We are not exempt from earning our own living. Secondly, we are not exempt from caring for others. We understand that in the world today there are hunger problems. There are people who have to go without food. 
However, the reason for hunger is not because there's an inadequacy of God's provision, but an inequality in human distribution. If you don't believe me, go walk by a dumpster at a restaurant and look at the amount of food that simply gets thrown away that, that we waste. It's, it's astonishing the amount of food that we throw away in our abundance. It's very clear that one of God's graces for humanity is that we are called to care for each other. We're called to minister to the afflicted and to care for the poor. As a matter of fact, later on in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells his followers that they should feed the hungry and water the thirsty and clothe the naked. And when they do those things, it's akin to doing it to the Lord himself. And so when we look around the world today and we see that there's problems where people are hungry and people are thirsty and they're, they're exposed we as God's people have an obligation to, to help meet those needs, to help care for those individuals. We're not exempt. We don't get to say, well, God's going to take care of them. God bless you. He's got a blessing coming your way. It may very well be that you're the blessing. You're the truck. You're the boat. You're the helicopter. You're the one who was there to bless the person. So if we let the Bible help us to understand what Jesus is saying here, it's clear that one of the ways God, God provides for his children is through the kindness of others. In the Old Testament, God provided a way even for the destitute to feed themselves. But by gleaning the edges of the field, if you own a piece of property and you were harvesting it, you weren't allowed to harvest the perimeter so that those who were hungry had somewhere where they could go and gather food. All that to say the existence of hunger and scarcity is not because God lacks provision, but because, again, we lack cooperating with God's good plan. Thirdly, and I think this is where we struggle the most, and this is where our prosperity preachers of our generation have let us down, we are not exempt from experiencing trouble. We are not exempt from experiencing trouble. Free from worry and free from trouble are not the same thing. Free from anxiety and free from hardship are not the same thing. In this world, we will have trouble. Jesus even said it in verse 34, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. If you have a bad day today, Jesus said, well, today was had enough trouble. As kingdom citizens, however, we have a king who knows our trouble. And we should have great peace knowing that even as Jesus preached these words from the Sermon on the Mount, the shadow of the cross already loomed heavy over his ministry. Jesus is telling his hearers, don't worry, don't be anxious, don't be nervous about tomorrow, knowing the whole time that every step he took was taking him closer and closer to his death on the cross. Men and women, we can cast our cares on God because we've seen the confidence of a life that's lived in the turmoil that was created by the cross. So how do we deal with anxiety? Well, the cure for anxiety isn't easy. And there's certainly individuals that have medical concerns that only amplify that anxiety. But the cure for anxiety begins with our focus. We need to remember this simple fact. All worry is about tomorrow. All worry is about tomorrow. 
But all worry is experienced today. These fears that we face about tomorrow, which we feel so acutely today, may not even be fulfilled. We can focus on the things that we can touch, the things that we can feel, the things that the world provides. We can easily be distracted by the economics and the psychology of life. But this we know. When our focus is on the Lord, those things that we think of about tomorrow will be fulfilled. Faith always triumphs over worry. When we focus our attention on God, when we follow the words of the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. We will take a giant step towards overcoming our anxiety in this world. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, this year has given us more things to worry about than perhaps anybody in this life and, and that's alive today has had to worry about. We've got concerns that are uh, they even changed by the day. We have worries about elections, and we have worry about economics, and we have worries about what's going to happen in January. Yeah, Lord, sometimes we worry about what's going to happen at the end of the day. But worry is about tomorrow, but its effects are felt right now. And we don't even know that the things we worry about are going to come to fruition. But what we do know is that faith is also about tomorrow. But we do know that the things that we hope for in Christ, the things that we know to be true from the Word of God, those aren't just empty promises that may, may come true. Those are rock-solid, steadfast words from God. And in spite of the, the many different things demanding our attention, our, our concern for, uh, for scarcity in our lives, God, let us trust you day by day by day. God, thank you that the, the answer for when anxiety attacks is, is not more anxiety. It's to seek first the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. And all those things that we need that bring about this source of anxiety, we trust that you'll take care of it. And you'll meet those needs in your good time. And so, Lord, whatever the source of our angst is, whether it's our health, whether it's our career, whether it's our bank account, whether it's a pantry in our kitchen, may we trust that you are good and that you have our best interest in mind and that we would seek the kingdom of God. And by our faith, by our witness, we'll point others to you. God, we're grateful for your goodness, for your mercy, and for the words of God. Thanks for listening. 
If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.